Okay, well, let's do this. This will be kind of the second part of last week's message. The second part of last week's message, which I called purpose and function. Um, I want today to be a bit different um, than what I would normally do up here, although it will probably look to you like normal, but for me, my heart's a bit different. Meaning this, that when I come up here to speak on a Sunday morning, Kind of, I kind of always have to, not necessarily have to, but I believe in, in the message enough um, that there's a good amount of authority. Like I believe that the Lord gave me something and then I can deliver it in an authoritative way and, and I always intend to do that. But when I was writing this message this week because I was really planning to go somewhere different and then while I was studying for our video series, I saw something out of Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 50 that just rekindled something in my heart. And so I decided to kind of step back and do a second part of this message. The reason why I'm telling you that is this. I actually think this message belongs kind of in a small group setting. Like if I could have my dream, it would be to like multiply myself times 50 and have just pockets of three and four individuals talking through this message. Like it should be shared over a burger somewhere where we can just converse back and forth instead of um, me being the pastor and you being there. It, it really needs to be shared as if it was just one brother to another brother or sister in Christ. That makes sense. It doesn't mean that it's not powerful, and it doesn't mean that it's not applicable today. In fact, I think it's really important. And what I want from today, after we go through worship in the back end of service, is for you to be walking out. And as you're walking out, I want you to be answering one single solitary question. If I can diagnose this, if you can diagnose this with the Holy Spirit's illumination, I think today would be, um, I would call today's message a success then. Make sense? We talked last week, if you remember, with purpose and function. We talked about the idea of a box, right? And we said that the purpose of every single box is to what? Hold what's inside of it, to protect what's inside of it. But because of recycling and stuff, we said that this box right here, which is an Amazon box, one day might turn into a Target box, might turn into a uh, Chewy box for dog food. Whatever it is, the purpose of a box always stays the same, but the function of a box changes and evolves over the duration of life. That's what we kind of messed with yesterday. And what we did is we likened that to your purpose and function in the church. And so what I want to do is I want to start out with a new a new passage of scripture today, and then I'm going to review just a little bit of last week because I see a lot of faces that weren't in here last week. The passage I want to go over today is this, out of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. And it says this, will you read it with me this morning? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. That's why I said we need to like have like a a beer and a burger to talk through this one, right? We, we, this is going to get crazy, right? Th this is where I want you to stay today, and I want you to realize. When Jesus is talking about this, he certainly is not talking about the idea of you working two jobs. No, what he's talking about here is a slave-person relationship, a slave and a slave-owner relationship, meaning this, that no one can be owned by two people. Because it's impossible in the world, and, he, and I believe many of us have tried, and we could testify about living this out, where we have tried to be owned by two different things. No man can serve two masters. 
See, if I was to love truly the principles and the, and the ways and the righteousness of God, if I was to love that, then actually, then I would hate the ways and the principles of the world and vice versa. No one can serve two masters. How does this relate with the idea of purpose and function? Last week, when I talked about this box, when I talked about the idea of everyone having the same purpose, I showed you a bunch of verses. I'm going to start out with some of these verses just for review. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you, you, Lenny Corliss, Nikki Marshall, David Roach, you will be, you right now will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We coupled it with this verse right here where it says that you are what? The salt of the earth. This is a defining thing of you in the New Testament as a blood-bought Christian. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can we be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything other than be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town bent on a hill uh, cannot be hidden. You do, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Let's take a look at another one about our purpose. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are, you and I are God's workers and you are God's filled. You are God's building, right? This is purpose. This is establishing everybody who calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. This is your generalized purpose in life. Next one goes right here. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Say all. Do it all for the glory of God. And we finished up this concept of defining your and I's purpose. Like, Lindsay, you cannot argue this. Like, you're a believer, I'm a believer. We have a generalized similar purpose, okay? And we said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that's been given to you, it's your job now to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice, if, I, if I'm clear on this, doesn't have much rights. <gasps> wait a minute, you're infringing. Yes, I am. I'm telling you the truth. We're to offer our bodies as what? To our master to do as our master says. Well, I don't like that type of faith. That doesn't seem very free. Let me tell you something. Be owned by something else that you're addicted to, and I promise you, you'll love the freedom in Jesus Christ. Okay, right? A living sacrifice, right? Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So what we talked about and what I asked last week is, if this is the case, if all Christians are like this, then why is it so many people joyless in the body of Christ? Why are there so many people who understand their purpose, but they just don't have any joy in it? And what we had said is because there are so many people in even this building who understand their purpose, but they're in the wrong function, meaning they're in the body of Christ, to be a light, and they get that, but they've been forced or guilted into a function that they don't belong, right? We kind of gave that illustration of me sitting here and going, man, I just don't feel like I can pray like Marcella for three hours, but, but, but I know I can go and serve at Northtown on a Saturday morning. Your function at this time, and it may evolve, in the body of Christ is not to be Marcella. 
It's to be exactly what God has created for you to be for this body at this time. Everybody make sense with that? Right? We talked about how David got there and he's going to go out and face Goliath. Right? And he has this last minute conversation with Saul. And Saul says, hey, dude, listen, um, I need you to go ahead and put on all the armor. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off and then he gathered up what he knew. He gathered up what he was gifted for. And what I mentioned last week is what would actually help Saul in battle would actually hinder David. That is the truth in our marriages, in our relationships within the body. And many of us, because we have been, um, we have been uplifted by pastors or different ministries to go, hey, well, here's what's valuable. And by the way, the person doing this right here, um, that's not as valuable. That's garbage. Because a body needs all, right? And you are not going after the same function that John Kroll is in this church or in the body of Christ. Everybody with me today? Okay. So what I said is if we're motivated by shame rather than the joy of doing what God has called us to do, that causes us to falter. I mentioned finally this, that that does not mean if you don't know your function that you get an out-of-jail-free pass. Like you go, oh, well, I don't know my function. I don't have to do nothing. Somebody said to me the other day, I made this, um, this meal for them, and, and, and he came up to me and goes, hey, dude, you know what? My function is to eat the food you made. I go, no, that's, that's twisting it, right? He said, well, I'm having another one, right? Okay, right? That, that's, it. that's not the case. We're supposed to, what, be purposed and driven, what, to expand the move of the Lord here on earth in 2020. Your function for that determines how you follow that function, determines how, I believe, how much your social circle gets advanced. So again, Matthew 6, chapter 24, gives us this indication that no one can serve two masters, though. So how does this couple in with purpose and function? I want to show you, I, wrote, I, I drew out this slide, or I drew out a piece of paper, I sent it to Nikki um, on, 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 I think, Friday. If you can see that there, I want you to understand that I think the greatest lie that the devil can play is making you believe that missing God's will by one degree is okay. Okay? So if you take a look at this and you see that this is one degree off on the path to righteousness and on the path of God's will, one degree off, which we say doesn't actually look all that different from perfection, one degree can actually change completely the course of your life and the course of the people who you've been called to's life. One degree off can, th- can take you from, I believe, can take you from the blessing, the provision, and, and, and many times the protection of God. We reap what we sow. So one degree off after a period of time Looks a bit like that. One degree off after a lifetime of decisions impacts your impact, okay? It doesn't mean that you are not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that you won't survive on earth. It doesn't mean that you won't experience different times of fruitfulness. But I will tell you, it means that you miss, I believe, the God's ideal plan. Well, pastor, what are you saying? God only has one plan for us? I believe this, that we wake up every single morning to the mercies of God according to Scripture. And I believe that there is laid out for us a path that we are able to choose. And one degree off of that, at the end of the day, can make a huge difference in other people's lives. 
If you ignore the Holy Spirit in the middle of your day when he is telling you exactly something to do, I'm going to tell you this. You will be reminded of that later, and if you did that day after day after day after 365 days, one degree, you're in trouble. Everybody with me? So the Lord, again, I think this is, it's vital for us to understand that the enemy will go, that's just a little bit of compromise. Right? Your purpose, your function, and you performing that function is absolutely valuable to the body. If you have a word, if you're gifted in prophecy, if God says to you, I want you to go over to Trisha and I want you to lay your hands on her, and you don't do that because of various different reasons, what if Trisha that morning driving in was saying this, Lord, will you show me that you're real? I've struggled all week. And she's asking God for that. Then that gets implanted in Vicky. And Vicky, for just some reason, that didn't happen. Right? We're, your function and your obedience to the Lord's will is absolutely vital, vital, vital to the health of other people. Everybody with me today? This doesn't sound like a message we're just talking about, right? So I named this message, Purpose and Function, Beware of the Substitute. We're going to go over the story in light, light speed of the story of Joseph, which to me is my favorite story in all of Scripture. I want you to know, for those that are scholars in here, Bible scholars, I'm going to flip through this so fast for the purpose of time. I could spend literally probably 12 hours dissecting his story because there's so much truth in it. So if I skip over something, please know it's not because I don't think it's valuable. It's just that I need to relate it to this idea, the substitute, okay? I want you to see something with with Joseph from the beginnings. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. It says, Jacob loved Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Abraham was carved to make a nation. So this lineage here is very, 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 very important. Jacob's sons meant the future. Jacob's sons meant the future of an entire nation. Good? Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word about him. That stinks. When you're hated on for doing nothing right, people are just jealous. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay, right? Some of you are ashamed to raise your hand there. I see that. It's okay, guys, right? You were loved, right? Jacob loved Joseph more than anybody. I love this right here. Then one night, knowing Joseph, knowing his brothers kind of hated him, he, he has this dream. You know in that, that, that phrase, TMI, too much information? Joseph needed to learn that, okay? One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. This guy, dude, he's a 17-year-old kid, and God speaks to him. And he's like, I got to tell this. 
And he tells it to some people, watch, that hate him. Okay? For those that don't know the story, and again, we're going to skip a little bit forward here. After he tells the dreams, he's out in the fields one day, and his brothers decide to kill him. And one brother says, hey, listen, guys, let's not, let's not do that. Look at this, what happens here. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? Oh, what a, what a good guy. Like, hey, if we don't kill him, let's at least get rich off this guy, right? Punks, okay? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother. Hey, you know what? Let's not kill this guy. Let's just make him a slave. He's our brother. Come on, right? Our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled them out of the cistern and sold them there for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took them to Egypt. Will you say this with me? Joseph, purpose, remained. Say it one more time. Joseph, purpose, remained. One more time. Joseph's purpose remained. I'm going to say that a lot today, okay? So now we see Joseph sold into slavery, and now he's in Egypt. Again, we're fast-forwarding through a lot of details. He's in Egypt. He's working for a man named Potiphar, a high-ranking official in Egyptian government, and there's this really cool thing that happens with Joseph in the first chapter, uh, in the first verse of, of Genesis 39. It says this. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was what? With Joseph. It's big. Big for later. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the homes of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. I'm going to tell you this. The people around you that don't know the Lord, if you're in your purpose, if you're in your function, they will see God's presence in your life. If they don't see his presence in your life, Get to a mirror as fast as you can or to a brother as fast as you can say and say, what's going on in my life? Because if people don't know that you're saved after five minutes of meeting you, in my opinion, there's something going on. <gasps> yeah, I mean it. People will notice that you're different. People will notice the spirit of God in you, right? If we're actually doing what we're supposed to do. So here we go. Potiphar noticed this. I almost tripped. And realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph's purpose remained in a foreign land. He didn't complain. Like, I, I, again, we, we have to understand something. Joseph didn't know that he was going to be the prime minister of Egypt when he was getting taken in the Ishmaelite traders. He didn't know the end of the story like me and you. Because sometimes we can go, oh, of course, he knew that God was going to make him king of Egypt. No, he didn't. What he knew is, I don't have no, no family. I don't have any freedom. I have no power. I don't even have my robe. Yet the Lord was with him, and he began to, what? Go after the function 
that God had given him in that moment. So now what do we have? Oh, the worst of worst. Potiphar's wife, he must be a distant husband or she's just a wild girl, right? She sees him, right? She sees him and she's just like all over him, right? And I think they had tons of conversations. Oh, yes, ma'am, of course I'll do it. And she's like, this is my kind of guy. He does whatever I say. And he's handsome and he's smart. And she's pursuing him day after day. And I've always said this. Anybody that doesn't think Potiphar's wife was not a model doesn't know what's going on. And Joseph, no one's around Joseph at all here. He can do whatever he wants. And she keeps saying to him, hey, let's go do it, man. Let's, let's go have a great time. Potiphar doesn't know anything. Don't worry about it. Joseph said, no, I, I cannot do something. If you read it, Joseph says, I cannot, what, sin against God. I want you to know Potiphar's wife went after him in such a way and she challenged his character. She challenged him with, with the idea of power, tested him in, his, in lust. Joseph, to, to this point, we don't know, we don't see any proof of Joseph having anything like that happening to him. So here we go, a powerful woman now going after him. And what is his, what is his response? I can't do that. Why? His purpose remained. What was his purpose? His purpose was that one night he had a dream where God talked to him and said, you one day will be in charge of your brothers. Well, how does that work? I don't even live in the same country as them, God. He was so attached to this purpose, this idea. By the way, he had two dreams, not just one. Two confirming dreams that said, you will lead your family. You will do something one day that is greater than where you are. And then now here Joseph is with this woman right here who he has relationship with. He has friendship with. And he says, no one's going to know, but I'm not going to sacrifice my future, my purpose, for a few seconds of joy. Let it speak to you guys. Because sometimes we leave our purpose for immediate pleasure. Okay? So here we go, Genesis 39, 19, verse 23. This really bothers me. For me, this just gets me just... Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story. Hey, this guy attacked me! No. About how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, his most trusted person, and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the, the Lord was with Joseph still? Wait a minute. And showed him his faithful love. How did God show him faithful love by putting him into prison? I, I guess that's my question to us all. Because the minute that we go through something in life that is adversity in us, we go, God, I thought you loved me. It says in scripture, but the Lord showed him his love by what? Putting him in prison. That is just mind-blowing. I'm going to show you something at the end of this that makes all the dots come together. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Joseph's purpose remained. Okay? Now Pharaoh has some dreams. Actually, there's some guys in the prison, the butler and the baker and the candlestick. <laughs> I, I didn't write it down. It just, okay, I'm just sharp as a tack. All right. 
They have dreams. They tell them to Joseph. The one thing he says is, he's looking, dude, I'll tell you what this means. Actually, I won't tell you what this means. God will tell you what this means. But if you will do me one thing, will you please, when you get out, tell my story to the king so I can get out of this place. And none of those guys remember. And he stays in there longer than he should. Longer than he should is one second in prison because he did nothing wrong. By the way, as Christians, life sometimes isn't fair. Will your purpose remain when it's not fair? Or will you rage? Will you get back? Okay. So here we go in Genesis chapter 41, verse 14 through 16. Oh, or 40, yeah. Oh, yeah. And please remember me and do, a, do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Keep going. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the fr- prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night. And no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that you, when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. I want that to be not to go without thinking. Pharaoh brings the guy up and says, man, you just got to do this. I'm going to make you everything. And Joseph says, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not me that's doing it. It's the God in me that's doing it. Right? Very, very cool. Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. If you'll go to the next verse, if you will. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh after he interprets the dream and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. You will be in charge of my court and all of my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. What a chaotic, like, life. Right? But Joseph's purpose remained. So now we have a famine in the land. Let me get, I haven't even started preaching yet, by the way, right? We got a famine in the land over all of the region. And now here is Joseph as the prime minister. And guess who comes knocking? Ooh. Ooh. His family's hungry. What is his family? Oh, they're the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're everything for God's chosen people. They represent God's people. And here they are in the next verse, right? Uh, Let's go to uh, one more. The next verse and see what happens. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? Nice. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Keep us alive. They literally don't have anything. They're going to die. This happened back then, okay? Otherwise, we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with him for for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. Keep going. Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed down before them with their faces to the ground. Now it starts to get real. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to him. Where are you from, he demanded. 
From the land of Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Okay, here we're going to start, we're going to start getting on it now. What I want you to know and, and what I want to propose to you is this. In one second or two minutes when he sees his brothers there, Beyond being tempted by Potiphar's wife, beyond being tempted to break out of the Midianite rule and run away, beyond um, hanging himself in a prison because for, for being mis, uh, misjudged, this right here, this temptation right here would be the biggest temptation and watch one degree off from his God-defined purpose. Okay? This right here, what's about to happen was Joseph's, you got to follow me so you can hear it, substitute purpose. Because what he could do right here at this moment would be absolutely 100% justifiable. In Leviticus chapter, uh, whatever, 26, I believe. Leviticus 26, it talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Joseph, right then, his brothers are there. The guys that sent him away, the guys that what, what, what said, left him for dead, sold him for slavery. He says, um, I can what? I can take these guys out. and No one's going to know. And I can have my dad come back here and life's going to be great. But what? Joseph's purpose remained. What I want you to know, and I mentioned it last week, that every single one of us in this room as God followers has a God-given purpose. But every single one of us as God followers also have a substitute purpose or a stand-in purpose. Okay, Whatever of these two purposes that you follow, whatever one of those two follow, you, your daily movements... Your, your planned activities and your unplanned activities will follow whatever purpose you are following. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? Your, your substitute purpose or your, your God-ordained purpose governs your actions, your thoughts, your habits. And so this is the reason why this sermon has to work and why I said it should be done in a small group. Because right now, if we were in a small group, I'd say, okay, guys, let's, let's everybody stop and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Because the number one question that I want you to leave today is not, um, God, how do I follow my purpose? It's actually this. Lord, will you reveal to me what my substitute purpose is? I want to diagnose every single person in here. I want the Lord to speak to you, to show you what purpose that the enemy sends you that will get you one degree off. Everybody following me? What is your individual substitute purpose? What, um, what uh, prevailing mindset do you have? What, what outside addiction? What, um, what inside desire? What uh, fleeting aspiration, stronghold? What temptation um, dilutes your God-ordained purpose? So that this is not theoretical, I want to give some examples. Let's say this, you're a godly man, and you get married, and you have a child, and your purpose is to be a man of God to that wife and child and everything that you do so that you live a life where you serve your wife like Christ served the church according to Scripture. That's your God-ordained, specific purpose. But the job gets you. And you've given more time, so much to your job and to your interests that 
that right there has taken away you from what? Performing your responsibility, not just your responsibility, your ordained purpose to raise your son to honor women in this world. Did that make sense? If your God-ordained purpose within this body is to hear the voice of God in a prophetic way and give rhema words to people in this church, but your substitute purpose is that within this body you want to be well-liked and everyone to receive you, you won't perform your God-ordained purpose. Someone came up to me today and said, Pastor, I want to say this to somebody. Do you think I should do it? I said, was it from the Lord, right? He said, yeah, it is. And I said, well, then wait for God's timing on it and do it. He goes, well, what if they don't like it? I said, it's your responsibility to give that to that person. That is your purpose. But your substitute purpose is this. I just want to be well-liked. You see how that's going to change things? What if God has bestowed your, your, your God-ordained purpose? And by the way, there are people in here with this. Or God has bestowed upon you to help lead people in wisdom through experiences both past and present in the view of God's grace. But your substitute purpose is to always be right and never listen to anyone. Yet we laugh at it, but it's the truth. Like both of them kind of look the same though. Well, I have wisdom and I've had this experience and I want to give it to this person. And then the substitute person is a counterfeit that looks, the substitute purpose is a counterfeit that says, I want to be right and I'm not going to listen to anybody. Everybody following me? What if, what if your, your God-ordained purpose is that you've been set free from an addictive party lifestyle and God has made you a voice to actually be a testimony of that at all times? But your substitute purpose for your entire life up until this point has been to be the life of the party. Uh-oh. <laughs> See how they clash. And the truth is, is, is there is, they're contrasting viewpoints and there's no way that you can do both of these purposes actively to the best with integrity. Well, this doesn't make, I want you to even see this. Jesus went through this. Look at, look at Jesus' purposes. Uh, let's go Matthew chapter 20, verse 8, uh, or 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, oh, keep back, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Jesus saying, here is the whole reason I've come to earth. I've come to earth to be the spotless lamb, to be a sacrifice for others. That's his purpose. I've come to serve. Look at this out of Isaiah, right? Yet it was on our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for our, so, our own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Look at another one here in Luke chapter 9, where he starts to say, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. The purpose of Jesus coming to the earth was to what? Was to purchase humanity back and bring them back to God. That was his purpose, right? 
And here we go at the very beginning of ministry, and Satan comes and tempts Jesus. He doesn't tempt him because Jesus is unbelievably hungry. There's something much bigger going on here. Matthew chapter 4 says this, During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Look at what else the devil does. He said this, If you're the Son of God, jump off this mountain, for the scriptures say he'll order his angels to protect you, and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And one more thing that the enemy says, he says this, Next the devil took him to the of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He said, I'll give it to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is the substitute purpose that the devil was trying to sell Jesus was this. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to suffer. All these prophetic things, the whole purpose of Jesus, and the enemy comes and says, hey, listen, I'll give you the entire world. Just kneel before me. There is a substitute purpose for your life. And many of you are walking that path right now rather than the God-ordained purpose. You want to skip a step. Everybody following me? Like these look kind of the same. The devil is selling a bill of goods to Jesus saying, hey, you don't need to be hungry. You're You're the son of God. Show everybody your power. You don't need to go to the cross and raise three days later. And Jesus is saying, this is my purpose, that the son of man suffers, that the son of man must take on what? What? The punishment of the earth. He could have skipped that that fast. Are you following where I'm saying today? What is your substitute? Here's some that I wrote down. Maybe for some of you, your substitute purpose is that you have to be greater than your father or your mother before you. Here's a substitute purpose. That you have to be the leader at all times. Here's a substitute purpose, that your comfort is more important than anything else. That you need possessions to find value. That if you hurt, everyone else must hurt. That you don't need anyone for anything. That no matter what, you need to avoid conflict. That whoever has the most at the end wins. These are substitute. These are, oh, these are stand-in purposes. That conflict with your God-ordained purpose. Let's return to Joseph. Chapter 50, verse 20 is very famous. After this long process with his brothers, he brings them there. They're down before him gotten a dad back into the picture. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Watch this. Stay with me. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt... He'd never be sold to Potiphar. If he's never sold to Potiphar, he doesn't get falsely accused of assault. If he doesn't get falsely accused of assault, he's not put into prison. If he's not put into prison, he never ever meets the butcher and the baker, right? I mean, the, the butler and the baker. If he doesn't meet them, the devil, then he doesn't interpret their dreams. If he doesn't interpret their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. If he never interprets Pharaoh's dreams, he never gets to be the prime minister. If he's not the prime minister, he never uses his wisdom to lead people through a famine. If he doesn't use his wisdom that he leads people through a famine, then he never gets the possibility of actually offering forgiveness to his brothers and saving the nation of God. 
So, so what I want you to know is throughout this entire time, he could have just taken a left turn. And especially at the end. His substitute purpose was this. I am going to wreak revenge on these freaking guys. I am going to put them into the darkest, deepest prison, and then I'm going to tell them that I'm going to get them out, and I'm going to say I'm just kidding. (laughs) He could wreck their lives, and that would have been quiet. No one would have known, but it wouldn't have been the very beginning. Hey, I had this dream that one day I was going to lead you. That's purpose. I'm asking you guys, I love you, I love you. What is your substitute? What's the thing that makes you move one degree off? Okay? All right, I'm coming in for a landing. How is it possible? How is this possible that Joseph, all the way to the end, remained in his future rather than a moment of lust? rather than in a moment of revenge or anger or power. How did he do this? I'll tell you how. What we see multiple times is this out of chapter 39, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. What that indicates is that there was a relationship with the Lord, that there was an exchange everywhere he went. And if there is relationship, and and, and some of you can testify to this, if you're engaging the Lord in proper disciplines and you're, and you're engaging the Lord in your worship life and in your reading and, and, and you're spending time with the Lord, I, I don't, just give me a real hands up. How many of you get changed when you're in the presence of God? Let me, seriously, don't raise it if not. So the more time we spend with the Lord, the more I believe our insides are changed. So when we say, how did Joseph do this? It's because I believe Joseph was doing one thing. As he was spending time with the Lord, he was improving, watch, that which is not seen, which is character. Character. To fight off your substitute purpose, you must have godly character growing in you every day. Say that again. To fight off your substitute purpose, you must have godly character growing in you every day. That's not sexy. It isn't. To grow godly character in you, man, that's not fun at all. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather grow my talent. Because if I have my talent grown, then people are going to notice that. You ever ever see anyone, my gosh, I just, I wish I could have his graciousness. No. They go, man, I wish I could have his car. I wish I could have his talent like Nick. Do we ever give credence to the idea, right, of growing actually what's inside in our world today? Growing godly character. Gifts tend to get the most intention. Function in a church tends to get the most attention rather than character. Everybody following me? See, there's this proverb in chapter, in chapter 4 of Proverbs I love. Watch, watch how the diction in it. Get wisdom and what? Develop. Develop. Does that mean, like, do you, I remember, Dad, you, you, we, uh, you used to have um, one of those things with the, 
where you would take the slides of the, the teeth, right? And then you'd bring them into a place where you had to develop pictures. And it's like, okay, this takes like four hours. I just want to have an iPhone that I can do it in a second, right? But you'd have to develop something. It takes time to develop. And so what it says is it says, get wisdom, but develop good judgment. That's on you. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom. For wisdom, character will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will place a lovely wreath on your head. She will present you with a beautiful crown. She'll guard you. She guarded Joseph as he built his inside in the middle of a woman that came after him. In the middle of a prison that he said, give up. In the middle of a cistern when his brothers, he didn't say I'm leaving my purpose because he had something beyond just this. Oh, God bless you, brother. Dude, I think, I cannot wait. I just cannot wait to meet Joseph because I know he's not going to give me a line of BS, which, by the way, Christians are really good at. Oh, bless going in and bless going out, brother. I can't stand that stuff because that's not character. I want to see something when it really hits. Are you going to stick to your purpose? Okay? Our Christian world is not different. We love someone in this very church. We love someone that can sing, that can have dreams, that can heal, that has power, that can lead, or that can teach, or can influence, or someone with big earning. But we kind of, we kind of put to the side someone that's just quiet and Are we spending time doing this? All right. The enemy of great, I wrote it down. The enemy of greatness for God is just being good in character. The enemy of greatness for God is just being good in character. Will we spend more time developing that? So Joseph's purpose remained. What I want to ask you in closing, Nick, if you'll come on up, is I believe if we could today walk out of here knowing what our substitute is, I actually believe the majority of us have a better chance tomorrow morning. Put up that one slide, if you will, um, Don, uh, at the beginning of, those, of that... Um, God's purpose, if you will. Don does such a great job back there. Thank you, Don. Right? Yeah. The, the idea, right, of us being one degree off needs to be in your mind. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your head. Cheryl. Cheryl said something really cool the other day to me on like a Tuesday morning, she said, you know, hey, pastor, did you know that the enemy only gets ground that you give him? Like, he's not able to take anything unless you relinquish it to him. And I just thought, man, how powerful. And so when Nick played the song today, the enemy can't take what I have, I want you to know this, that includes your purpose. But if you chase your substitute, you give him ground to wreak havoc in your life. And so right now, as Mick is playing, I just want you to just to ask the Holy Spirit. For some of you, you don't know what that is. 
that substitute, and I can't determine that for you. So if you just bow your heads right now, as Mick just plays, I'm going to stop talking, and just would you just pray right now and ask the Lord to reveal the need.